Oscar as we come to you now on a Tuesday, hoping you are stuffed full from all the Memorial Day weekend carbs that you can handle. Check. <laughs> We're getting back into the movie review groove uh, as we go over the lovebirds today and some other stuff that also Mike here will tell you about. I am your co-host as well, Mike One. Yeah, I think this is a fun episode format today. I'm really excited for it because, you know, we had a blast doing a, a countdown top fives last week. And uh, what was that? Again, pitch. We already recorded it. It's in the can, and I still can't remember what we did. What was it called? <laughs> Any idea I have, I you know. need to be told 17 times so... before there's a chance you maybe remember it once. It's so disrespectful. <laughs> I apologize. No, it's top five film world letdowns is what we learned. There you on. go. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was therapeutic. We went through a ton of, uh, you know, stories from our movie going lives. I think today we're going to clearly left a lasting impression on you. Yes. <laughs> but today we're going to go through stories from our love lives or I'm going to. Oh, we're going to go through stories. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're going to do a top fives the latter half of this episode on Love on the Run movies. And I got some criteria, and you've barely seen five movies that you can pick from here. Yeah, I realize going into this top five, <laughs> and, and, and you did a great job with the research per usual, and you got all these lists together that people had made. And I was going through all the lists of you know the top 20 Love on the Run movies, top 10 Lovers on the Lamb movies, blah, blah, blah. And I was reading down all the lists, I'm like... I have not seen any of these fucking movies. And then I realized, I think I've been consciously avoiding these movies because they don't usually do anything for me. Or they don't at least appeal to me at the outset. So I'm going to have an interesting list, I think. I'm surprised. Like, I'm surprised that you haven't, like, fantasized about this. I mean, you're really not a romantic person, is what I'm guessing. <laughs> like, at all. Because, like, if you fantasize about falling in love, blah, 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 all that stuff... Like, I, in my past, I'd be like, all right, let me think of this situation. I even wrote a couple movies, like, when I was in school, you know, a couple, you know, feature-length screenplays where I was, yeah, I mean, it was a lovers-on-the-run screenplays, essentially. So I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised that this is not something, you know, more for you. Like, True Romance is a Tarantino script. And True Romance is great, uh. yes. And I, I, I didn't put it on my list out of respect for it. <laughs> so, but I, I think, Mike, I think we've established that if I would ever get my hands on one of your scripts as an editor, like, my biggest pitch to you all the time would be, what if this person turned on that person and literally stabbed them? <laughs> not enough heel turning. <laughs> right, not enough, exactly. Not enough uh, self-interest. Not enough. Right. This whole, this unity, this romance it doesn't do it for me it doesn't sell baby i would write a hallmark movie and you would turn it into a machiavellian <laughs> nightmare yeah i think that's far for the course maybe it would work maybe it's a good fusion <laughs> What's wrong with We that? have that to look forward to. <laughs> We're doing our top five uh, Love on the Run movies, but the reason why we are doing that is because, like Mike said at the outset, The Lovebirds debuted on Netflix. This is one uh, that we talked about Netflix swooping in. Mm -hmm. This was supposed to come out in theaters. Netflix came in, bought the rights. They now debuted it on their network. It got some high reviews, some high marks at the outset, so we figured, why not cover it? We are both big fans of a lot of people attached to this, so I guess let's just get right into it right now, Mike talking about the lovebirds this will be an all non-spoiler discussion so if you've not seen the movie yet do not worry we're not going to spoil it for you and mike the lovebirds was number three on saturday it still sits at number three now let's talk and get into a quick intro about this movie yeah it's directed by michael showalter of the big sick a movie we both loved with Kum loved. yeah kumail nanjiani there he is of course the comedian from the wet hot american summer series a bunch of the david wayne things and a bunch of the Comedy Central uh, shows of the late '90s, early 2000s. There, he's a you know he's a great sketch comedian. Uh, it was written by Aaron Abrams and Brendan Gall, though, which is very strange because they you know are behind NBC's Hannibal. I don't know if you watched any of NBC's Hannibal. It was disgusting and pretty great. Well, I mean, I think those last two descriptions should tell you I absolutely watched some of it. So, uh, and yeah, and I think you could see that kind of influence at certain points in this script, and we'll touch on it, but again, we won't give anything away. This movie does star Issa Rae. She plays Leilani. Uh, she is a two-time Golden Globe nom for her work on HBO's Insecure. Kumail Nanjiani, Mike already told you, is in this as well. He's, of course, from The Big Sick and Silicon Valley. Kumail also will be in the upcoming MCU movie, The Eternals, mm -hmm. and that's why he got so jacked, and I have thought 
thoughts on that coming up. Uh, Paul Sparks, he plays the bad guy in this. He's from Boardwalk Empire and House of Cards. So the meta score was a 58. The Rotten Tomatoes score got up to around 80% when we decided on reviewing this. Now it's down to 66%. Uh, its audience score is about 53%, Mike. I think the uh, critical reception was surprising to me for a while, and I was like, oh my god, maybe it's like another big six right. style. You know, Michael Showalter's on a roll. I'm feeling great about this. But now I, I think we kind of made a combo episode out of it that I'm excited for, but I don't think it's worth reviewing for like a full OSP or something like that. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a strong movie, and we're going to get into it in a second. I, I, you know, do you think this would have played better at South by Southwest? So that was the question I asked you going in. I mean, knowing that this was going to be a theatrical release, do we think this would have made money if it actually went the theater route? I, I think we both think it could have become like a cult thing, but I don't think either one of us thinks that this one would have made a, a lot of money on theaters. I think Netflix might have been a smarter route for this on the outset, no? Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, is this a quote-unquote neck? Netflix movie. I mean, what is a Netflix movie? Is this something we would have called a, you know, in their wheelhouse type of film two or three years ago before they really got their Oscar campaign chops going and before they started buying up awards properties? Yeah, I think I, you know, if you were to ask me in five to seven years after I've forgotten about this movie, because it's solid, <laughs> yeah. but I don't think it's ultimately all that memorable. You know, if, I, if, if you were to ask me, what happened in the inception of this movie, I would have thought, oh yeah, this is, this is a Netflix movie. I probably would have forgotten the, the prologue of all the, what happened beforehand, how it was supposed to be a theatrical, because yeah, it does feel like a quick 94, 95 minute Netflix in and out love story featuring some high quality actors and the most beautiful people on earth. And Netflix is notorious for taking these underserved genres in the, in the movie theaters and bringing them to their streaming service. We've seen them take a lot of rom-coms and give a, a lot of right. people their start, a lot of filmmakers their start and, and, and develop these filmmakers. And, you know, they've taken like some sports stories. They've taken these genres that don't necessarily get the big screen treatment anymore. This is, you know, looking at the list of movies that we're going to get into later, this this is an underserved genre, you know, in, in recent years. I mean, you got to go back a few decades when this was a regularly scheduled theatrical release type genre. I mean, going back, I mean, I guess it's heyday. It's Zenith was like the Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner days of romancing the stone, perhaps when you and I were barely alive, you know, <laughs> so it's, it hasn't been it hasn't been all that relevant in a bit. No, the underserved, uh, underscored by my treatment of the genre in general as well. I've certainly been underserving it uh, myself. Yeah, like you said, though, and alluded to, this was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest in March. And like we said, originally scheduled for a theatrical release. I wonder if Showalter... You know, because he does helm, he is responsible for helming the biggest movie that Amazon has done, or at least I guess the most successful movie that Amazon has had mm -hmm. in-house, right? I wonder if there's a, a motivation for Netflix to get their hands on him to kind of keep him away from doing Amazon stuff, or if he's just a free agent and will go wherever. Obviously, this isn't, you know, this wasn't a Netflix-produced movie. They bought the license and they distributed it uh, afterwards. But I wonder if there was, you know, that underlying motivation to get into bed with Michael Showalter to kind of woo him in the future. Because like you said, he's his talent as a director yeah you wonder if paramount like test screened this i had mentioned when we were previewing it that i had seen it on like the rotten tomatoes list where they usually mention films that are just going to go straight to vod so i was confused about what they were going to do with this movie after seeing theatrical previews of it so paramount must have known something they must have figured that all right we're you know obviously with when the pandemic hit this was a relatively quick sale for them right get it over to netflix see you know get it off their books hopefully make at least a small profit i you know i'm guessing it's probably like a 25 million dollar film maybe netflix bought it for that amount and they broke even uh, I think uh, Netflix has got to be happy with it, though. It's filling a major void in their programming, and it's you know it's a top five movie on their streaming service yeah. this weekend. Yeah, it's trending well for them. It's 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 doing uh, in the obviously 
the more new content you could have for any time the movie theaters are still closed, as they are by and large across this country. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani, Issa Rae, Michael Schultz, these are big names that people will tune in just specifically for those names. They'll sell themselves. So, All right, let's get into a non-spoiler preview here, Michael. Let's start at the top. Uh, what do we think? What were your expectations? I had pretty low expectations for this, and I'll be honest with you. When I went through the top five list, Love on the Run movies, there are so few comedies that I think... You know, going into this watch, I was I was respectful of the ambitiousness of what Michael Showalter and these writers are doing here. I was respectful at, at the high degree of difficulty that they were facing because it's just not something that's done that often. Every movie we're going to mention is pretty much a straight-up drama action film or, or yeah. something. It, it's rare that you try to make a situational comedy out of a you know, run-for-your-life movie and also make it romantic. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, and I think this movie kind of set its tenor and tone early on with what the aspirations were for its tone in that it's trying to be the situational comedy by its trailer. I love this trailer and I kind of maybe put my expectations a little too high, but I thought the trailer was absolutely hysterical. You have that love song and it gives away basically a lot yeah. of the movie, but you have the love song playing and then there's this gruesome murder that happens <laughs> by this guy staging himself as a cop. We've reviewed this trailer in previous MMOWs. So I, I, I maybe was too heightened in my expectations because I literally guffawed at that trailer and it struck me again when I saw it in the movie. I was laughing. The scene was really well done. Oh, that was the best joke of the film, Yeah, you know, about the grease there and I wish they didn't put it in the trailer, but I guess they me were too. trying to sell it. But <laughs> I did chuckle throughout this movie and that was the extent of it like I didn't really laugh out loud hard but there was a bunch of times I mean they're just too talented Kumail and Issa Rae I mean they're they're too talented not to be funny and and they I thought they had a good rapport the way they were bickering throughout the movie it reminded me of a lot of couples where I was the third wheel for yes throughout my life yes yes <laughs> me too and you could tell where our love life stands like you mentioned at the beginning that we both had that experience I also have I despised this premise in a way. I had such a big problem with this because you have Issa Rae, yeah. who is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we we know she's she's a very funny person, like you said. Kumail Nanjiani, the way they tried to hide his physique, his Marvel Universe physique yes. was hysterical in some of the shots. They're only shooting him from the shoulder up in a profile view. He, they put on layers of clothing and baggy clothing because there's these are supposed to be two average people, except they're two of the most hilarious and stunningly beautiful people in the history of the world, and we're supposed to believe my fat ass sitting in my couch watching this movie eating Cheez-Its on Memorial Day weekend. I'm supposed to believe the two of them are going to be shy and coy with one another when I know they can bring the funny and the sexiness whenever they want? How dare you, Netflix? I think they wrote the script when Kumail was Seth Rogen size. <laughs> I think you're right. I had the same idea. And then he, like, you know, became friends with your wrestling guy there. What's his name? Uh, Batista? Batista, yeah. He became friends with Mr. Batista and, and they started working it out and then now he's cut up like a stone my god they're almost too fit in this film like i it was felt well mike i felt bad because i was like i gotta start working out again and i did <laughs> i actually did i watched this movie in the other morning i got up and i was like oh my god i really should work out again and then i did my bicep curls with a few dumbbells i had lying around and then i tried to do burpees and oh my God, like I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to knock out a hundred burpees. And I was like heaving my smoker's <laughs> lungs. I was dying. I mean, my voice has gotten lower since we started this podcast because cigars <laughs> and I really have to stop. And I, I've been researching. I got to stop. It's terrible. But oh my God. So Seven, like, eight. Well, no, that was the thing. Like you're supposed to do sets of 10. You know, I work, I work with kids all the time and we do this and I'm like a, you know, t evil taskmaster. You can do it. And then not yeah. thinking it's hard anymore. I'm going to go much easier the next time I get those track kids in front of a burpee workout again because I'll like, do sets of six. Sure, they're we're gonna fat do filled. we're gonna do three burpees and then we're gonna call it a practice. I'm so much more sympathetic after actually working out again. Maybe maybe I always have to work out now, even if it's just a little stupid workout. Like I was outside for ten minutes and I thought I could be like high paced and do a hundred different things. Yep. I did do a hundred things P90X style, but it was. 
just a disaster. It was a fat, heaving breath disaster. <laughs> it's funny that this movie inspired that in you, and yet when they had this fit, muscular Adonis at their own disposal, they're doing everything they can in Kumail Nanjiani to cover him up. Because, I mean, literally, the cinematography and how he was shot they wanted, They were desperate to have him viewed as an average guy. You don't get big, big muscular shots. He's never in a tank top or a short sleeve shirt. Yeah. He's wearing multiple layers of clothing. He's shot at these different angles that aren't really natural. I think. I, I mean, to me, it was like they were pretty obviously trying to cover what he turned himself into. Well, he had the f- same flubby belly I have when he did the big sick. And I wonder if Michael Showalter was like, oh, my God. I mean, the tale of two movies here. Like, is he going to be funny this in shape? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. maybe he's, you know, whispering to the cinematographers like, you can't show. Look at he's got abs in this shot. We can't. Well, the we action, get a there's shot. action sequences in this as well. And if you got a jacked MCU superhero come to life, yeah, I, I can totally understand why they need him to be this average guy for some of the action sequences and situations they put these characters into. Well, and speaking about the situations, I did like some attention to detail, like stupid, you know, harmless spoilers here. Because, but there's a scene where Issa Rae, and you see it in the trailer, she breaks her heel on her shoe. I mean, she was going out to a party. It was a really nice shoe she was wearing. And she breaks the heel on it. And then she's walking barefoot for a while. But after some broken glass happens, you watch her take a long time to put on her shoes before she can get into the room. And it's kind of funny. Like, I'm laughing at it. I'm just fixated on her for some reason. Because Camille's looking around. But she's taking forever to put her shoes on. And then, of course, like, at the end of the scene, she's taking forever to find, like, one of these kids' shoes. Because they broke into a place. Mm-hmm. And she finds his sneakers. And I just, like, I really appreciated the writing job on some of this. Because the situational comedies, they make you believe that these two would do these things and then they you know they get some of the uh you know the minutia right i think yeah and they the, as far as the minutia goes there's like little moments with side characters that are just trying to to work in just how awkward 2020 is anymore like the the woman that calls in the crime to the police yeah. is a white woman and she's reporting a a brown man and an african-american woman for murder and she knows she's like i don't think they're murderers because they're minorities i think they're murderers because you know they murdered someone and she's explaining this to police unsolicited so yeah i i do think this is you know there's an authenticity to this script and the way these characters were portrayed and even the side characters and how they speak and how they act and what they do and and again this is a professionally done movie you can see the talent in certain areas well the authenticity is what i was most surprised by because when i heard that the hannibal writers wrote this i figured all right this is going to be outlandish hopefully it's funny and you know we'll we'll have a good movie but like these are some legitimately scary situations that we're laughing yes. at so that is not easy to write to get comedy into all these you know terrifying i mean are they going to be tortured everybody saw that scene from the trailers i mean we have some terrifying things happen i mean there's an eyes wide shut thing going on oh my god is there and so it's awkward and i'm like no nobody be naked no stop it put your clothes on i'm very i'm very prudish in my old fatter ages right now but michael i'm sitting here watching this movie i'm i'm really drawn into you know the uh, causality of it which is which was shocking to me like it made sense it made sense but it got very extreme very quickly i i would agree with that but still like i am easily sold i think i let's just put it this way. i'm an easy mark in a movie okay. i think and if uh if you you know sell me on some silly little details and, and we've seen this from spielberg and the mcu laugh away the obvious objection etc we've seen this done in the mission impossible or the bond films where you know it's this outlandish thing it's a flying whatever fr- refrigerator or, or uh or a motorcycle and yet they still make it somewhat believable because he's got to right. fix the mirrors or something like that i'm i'm actually <laughs> writing this as i go that's a good d- little detail anyway if you fix the mirrors on a flying motorcycle i'll believe it is what i'm trying to get across and i believed what was happening here because of you know those little things now there was some suspension of disbelief that i thought was too far i mean there's a point where they end up getting in an, an well i was going to say an uber but this movie is clearly sponsored by lyft and they make that point right. very obvious a lot of times yeah. so there's a point where they get into their lyft and the driver who's been driving them for minutes at a time 
they just realize halfway through the drive is somebody that they don't want to encounter, which was, I mean, come on, why do you get into the car in the first place? So uh, there, there's, it's not foolproof. It's not perfect by yeah. any means, but yeah, you get your entertainment value. Well, a couple smaller takeaways. Number one, the wardrobe was very impressive throughout this film. <laughs> it, was, and I, it was funny. Well, I was like, I got to go shopping again. I need some new digs. Like I, like <laughs> here's the thing about this movie. This movie inspired me a little bit. It really I did. I was going to say, you Kumail, got, you found some serious inspiration here. Well, Kumail was a schlub like me a year ago. He was a, the, the Kumail of the big sick is basically my physique. <laughs> I'm a little add twenty pounds to that, so so I I I was inspired. He got me to work out, man. I I don't know that the this movie was made with the intention of uh, inspiring <laughs> physical fitness and a fashion wardrobe makeover, especially with some of the outfits that they uh, decide to go with after stopping at like this dollar store, this one stop shop. But uh, <laughs> hey, man. Take the inspiration wherever you find it. Good for you. Well, I just, I mean, I thought when he dressed up to the nines, I thought he looked great. I was like, oh, my God, I got to get in a suit like that someday. I got to look good <laughs> in a suit like that someday. That's my goal. It's like This movie gave me goals. But uh, I did want to talk about, like, the romantic chemistry. Like, this is a major negative to me because I think we know that, you know, Kumail Nanjiani is not married to Issa Rae. We know who he's married to. He just told us the story of of, of how, you know, he fell in love with his wife and, and, and all of that. So, like, it's strange. Like, they're kissing each other, and it's just like, I know this is bullshit. And, huh. you know, the curtain's pulled back. So I didn't really buy it. I loved all their arguing. I liked that chemistry. Their yeah, I was going to say. This is this is uh, I take the opposite away from it because I can't really relate to the relationship from the big sick. Mm-hmm. I've never been in that situation. I, it was a, a tearjerker of a story, and I love the way it was told. But I mean, this seemed more. I've been here. I've been in this situation. Whether I've been a third wheel to this couple before, I've been in it myself. Like I know that relationship, so I didn't really have a problem with the romantic chemistry because I thought it was more of a, a real life everyday relationship well when he and emily were falling in love in that movie the big sick he was adjusting his side mirrors a lot in this those scenes i don't know if you if, if it no, caught that so that. yeah, yeah it went sold me head. yeah it worked for me uh anyway i found myself rooting for both of these characters and i kind of liked the ending do you have any final thoughts here uh and final grades yeah we can get into final grades look i don't know that i'll ever go through this one again but i definitely there were two scenes in specifically that i laughed hard at and they happened right on top of each other yeah you're kind of the story is kind of spoiled by the trailer i think especially if you listen to us what we kind of guessed in that episode is pretty much what you get as far as this movie goes Mm. even though it does take a wild right hand turn at one point uh as far as uh getting into kubrickian territory but uh I, I think it's a good watch, especially for new content, especially when you're desperate for something uh, on a rainy day like today is. 90 minutes, it's fun. You'll get your laughs. I'm probably like a, you know, a C plus, B minus, 78, 79 range for me. Yeah, I'm a low B minus myself, right right around an 80, I would say. So, yeah, it's a fun watch, kind of harmless, kind of uh, funny. And, uh, yeah, don't watch the trailer for sure. And, yeah. And maybe they've, we, they've gone too far if they've listened to us because we've cited the trailer a few times. But... <laughs> Anyway, if you start this episode at the 25-minute mark, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. No, we were pretty good with non-spoilers there. The fun part of this episode, I think, is this top five list because (laughs) – you know, when I pitched it to you, you were all about it, and I don't yes. know why you were all about it, but I'm going to break your balls. I don't know either. I was very excited. There's a lot of movies on these lists. Like, you can go online and search this however you want. Romance uh, road trip movies, love on the run movies, lovers on the lamb movies. There are lists for all of these, Michael. And, you know, there's everything from Pierre Le Fou to The 39 <laughs> Steps to Days of Heaven to Villains to 1984 to The Hunger Games to Brazil. All these movies, I mean, our film Twitter mentions were fun. You had Forces of Nature from Gidget Von LaRue, Ben Affleck, and uh, I believe uh, Sandra Bullock there. Sandra Bullock, yeah. You had A Life Less Ordinary with Cameron Diaz and Ewan McGregor from uh, At Brad Hargis. You had Natural Born Killers, which I am shocked did not find its way onto your list from At Matt R. Says. I tried to be respectful of the really, really good movies and not include them in this madness that I put together. (laughs) (laughs) So your top five list is so bad that you think... I think think I've seen legitimately 
eight Lovers on the Run movies, <laughs> and three of them are like all timers that I wouldn't even class. Like they're just great movies, like Natural Born Killers, True Romance. Like I can't, I can't do that. You, when you get to my number five and four, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, we will. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, but you know, Wojciech Weisher had a deep cut, The Doom Generation, which is something I've never seen. So Vo- Wojciech is getting some good wrecks out there for us. Yeah. And finally, Colby Mack at Colby told me he had Carol on this list, and I don't remember them being on the run in Carol. Like, I remember them being on the road. I guess there was like a motel scene that was, you know, interesting. All I can say is I know that movie popped up on a, I, I have not seen yeah. it, but it popped up on pretty much every one of the lists. Oh, it's a good movie. Uh, yeah, you'll like linked. it. Yeah. You'll like it. Anyway, I think I came up with some criteria here because. Like, for me, I'm a big fan of the road trip or quest movie genre. I mean, I guess you can make every movie into the into a quest and, and mm-hmm. if you're shaping a plot or analyzing a plot. So, like, you have a lot of these quest movies that involve a romance from It Happened One Night to Shrek, from Sullivan's Travels to Raiders of the Lost Ark, from North by Northwest to Old Boy. Oh, my God, Old Boy. I just mentioned Now old we're boy talking. That's lovers on the run for me. I'm nixing all of those <laughs> for my list, you know, because, I mean, you really can just make it wide and say all the James Bond movies, all the Star Wars movies, right. you know, the Indiana Jones movies, they all could be there. So I have two big criteria, Michael, and you don't have to have the same criteria. In fact, I'm glad you don't because we have... Don't you worry. I don't. <laughs> we have 10 different movies. <laughs> so we'll give the folks a wide swath here. But I had two criteria. And and criteria number one was they've got to spend most of the movie on the run. Either they're fugitives or they're being hunted, too. That's what on the run means for me. And and number two, they got to spend most of the movie with the love interest building that relationship. So that's like uh, that means most of act two at the very least. So. I think that the final criteria, I guess, are part of number two. I probably should have said it's four or six criteria. Anyway, I had a, a outline here that has one, and then I had A and B and A and B. I'm a nerd. You're, you're lawyering right now is what you're doing. But that's why I don't get love on the run in my own life, because I'm such a nerd. Anyway, Michael, I think it's got to be romantic love, not platonic love. And I think you disagree on this, but I had no, I do disagree. I had no friend zoning allowed. Uh, well, I think I think love comes in many forms. Uh, I, I I guess I want to I want to kind of get into my uh, my criteria Good. because uh, once I realized I hadn't seen any of these movies um, <laughs> that are great in cinematic institutions, and I'm a bad person uh, and a worse critic when it comes to this genre. Uh, my criteria was going to be I'm going to just list five movies that have run in the title, and that's I was going to do like Run Lola Run. <laughs> Britney runs a marathon like that. That's what I was thinking when I realized that I was up against it here. I don't know why I was so excited to do this top five because I was genuinely pleased by it mm-hmm. until I realized I have no attachment to any of these things. Uh, and with that, my number five is uh, is uh, Runaway Bride, which is not at all a lover on the run movie, but it was funny to me. And it was the first movie I thought of. And Richard Gere is adorable. There is r- love and there is running. <laughs> So you got that. So that, I guess if that's your criteria, it does fit it. Now, th- that movie, Mike, had a low-ass meta score. That movie was critically just crushed, I think, at the time. But I, like you, remember liking that movie. It, it was very much a guilty pleasure for me as well. The big selling point of that movie, as we all remember, was that it was Richard Gere and Julia Roberts reuniting after Pretty Woman. I think it was 10 years after or whatever. <laughs> I... This will tell you about my mindset and my movie uh, life growing up. I saw this movie in theaters, Mm. and I think I saw it with a group of middle schoolers, like as our Friday night get out, when all our parents would drop us out at the theater, and we were the cool kids. Wow. You are not the cool kids. I'm sorry to break it to you. You were the kids, you know, basically going to a movie that your parents would allow is what you, and then your parents are probably leaving the theater like, all right, so what does this mean? They're going to see, they're going to see something else. This is bullshit. We saw the weirdest movies in those groups. Like we saw Texas Chainsaw and then we would see Runaway Bride and then we would see the David Spade movie Lost and Found and then we would see Kevin Costner's For Love of the Game. Like we were all over the place. That is absurd to me. That is, but that is bar- parent-approved movies for the most. Well, at least the two you mentioned there. But I yes. could picture your dad, like if he gave an f about movies, 
like right. him being a detective, he would have, you know, he would have had you come home and like demanded a, a, you know, a movie report or a book report. <laughs> and then he would have been like shot. Like I could write that scene right now. He would have been shocked that you like, actually recalled the whole movie. It's like, wow, this kid re- read a great synopsis. I was sure he was going to see like some dirty movie out there. Right. And then he would have been upset that I actually went through to with watching Runaway Bride <laughs> and sent me to my room to be grounded. So what's your number five, Michael? It is True Romance from 1993. Tony Scott, Quentin Tarantino. Christian Slater is doing the most transparent impersonation of Jack Nicholson. And he has a career of doing an impersonation of Jack Nicholson on his resume there, Christian Slater. So that, that was a little bothersome, but like you can't watch this movie without falling in love with Alabama Whitman, with Patricia Arquette. I mean, she is adorable. Uh, This is Tarantino's most idyllic and romantic script. Like I was shocked when I first seen this movie as being something from Tarantino. But I think it's also worth watching for Gary Oldman's scene in this. Oh, yeah. Like, he is channeling future Tom Hardy. Like, Tom Hardy's basically, (laughs) you know, running back Gary Oldman's career right now. This is what I'm realizing. So this was not a beloved movie in in the sense of the critics, 59 Metascore. But when you think of a movie like this, and I had it, you know, on the fringe of my list for a while. I was considering a bunch of honorable mentions, like... I had to put it in at the end of the day, because when you think of movies like this, you think of true romance. Yeah. And I think it's one of Tarantino's most quote unquote normal scripts too, even though things go off the fucking wall in that as they do in every Tarantino script, but it's more, Mm. uh, it's one that I think most people can relate to in some way, probably more than, you know, being in a coma and chasing down your ex-husband in a samurai sword fight. (laughs) So uh, I, I think there's that going for it as well. Another thing about true romance Brad Pitt, like, his career was started in this genre, with these movies, because he's all over the list. He's in True Romance as a neophyte actor. He was in California as a neophyte actor. There's another one coming up that's on my list that he had a big impression on. That was one of his first movies. So he kind of got his his feet wet, uh, his acting chops in this genre specifically as being like the pretty boy side character well when he was you know fantasizing about romance and i mean he could do it much more easily than you or i but he was flexing his heart muscles with love on the run scenarios why do i have to feel bad about this somehow you're like getting to me like i shouldn't have fit i'm gonna just what are you talking about i'm gonna describe my fantasies by the end of this episode i guess you don't have to feel bad i'm not saying anything I'm talking to a stone here from Romancing the Stone. But, Mike, what's what's your number four? How does this get worse? So it does, because another movie that popped up on every single one of these lists we found was Badlands. Yeah. And me, last night, in preparation for this countdown, I was like, I don't have five movies. So I'm going to watch Badlands, which was Terrence Malick's first movie. Uh-huh. Martin Sheen, you want to talk about doing a cosplay impersonation. Martin Sheen, they even make fun of it a couple times in the movie, is trying to do his James Dean impression. Really? Look. It's been years since I've seen this, so it, it, it's fascinating. kind of gross. One Sissy Spacek is supposed to be playing 15, and Martin Sheen is supposed to be playing 25. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is chock full of its own problems. But it's okay because Sissy Spacek looks nothing like a 15-year-old. And in fact, in real life, she doesn't look like a 15-year-old because she was like 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. Except that she was 23 or 24 and Martin Sheen was still 10 years older than her. He was like 33 or 34 at the time this was filmed. So that goes and plays games with your minds. And it's one of those movies that just... If you look at the motivations and the characterization of Martin Sheen's character with 2020 eyes, it is impossible to root for him and for their romance uh, wow. in this in this time. And you could see Malick's talent shining through. He doesn't do so much with the landscape. He wasn't into the big cinematography. I think this was actually his very first movie, which explains that. But he was it was all in the background, and you could see it was a concentration, if not the focus, like it has become today. It was tough. The beginning was tough. The the setting the scene and why these two run away with each other. It's it's tough to justify and root for with twenty twenty eyes. I was okay with how it ended. I understand the high praise, but it's like a seven point eight on IMDb and it's like a ninety nine on on Rotten Tomatoes oh. or something like that. A ninety. It's not those. So it's my number four. It made my top five list. <laughs> so because of what other people think, it's in your top five. What are the godforsaken? train wrecks that 
are eight, seven, and six on this list. Is it really like Letters to Juliet? Is that all you can think yes. of? Yes. Yes. I mean, they're bad rom-coms. Yes. Oh, no. I feel bad for you. So you're going to have to watch my list then because number f- I have five good movies. I probably could have listed another 20. This is a good genre, man. you got to get into this. You gotta get we know how this. I am with romance on screen. I don't do well. I'm an awkward person. What is your four, though? You're an awkward person. But this is the kind of treatment of romance you would like, I think, because this is from David Lynch. Wild at Heart is my number yeah. four. Nicolas Cage plays Sailor Ripley. Laura Dern plays Lula. Willem Dafoe is Bobby Peru. And this is an Oscar-nominated film. Diane Ladd, the uh, real-life mother of Laura Dern, plays her, I believe, her mother in this. or she I forget who she plays in this, but she's a crazy-ass character. Oscar-nominated for supporting actress. Two peas on a pod, at two peas on a pod. They also pick this in terms of our Twitter question there. But this is like a weird movie, Mike. It's it's hard to rewatch. I had owned this in a past life, and I don't know where it is now, which just drives me a little crazy because I wanted to rewatch it for this. But, like, I don't know if you want to, like, put this on as a going-to-sleep movie. It might be the worst going-to-sleep movie. That sounds like a bad idea with any Lynch movie. (laughs) Yeah, why would you be, like, consumed by madness in your dreams, like, if you fell asleep halfway through? Like, would you wake up smiling like Willem Dafoe, like, for the rest of your life? But, I mean, look, they're madly in love in this movie, which is fun fun to watch. I mean, it's it's adorable, and it's and it's hysterical watching D- Nicolas Cage do Elvis impersonations for the entire film. Uh, I don't remember rooting harder for a movie couple on the run in my entire life, except maybe my number three that I'll get to in a few minutes. So th- this is another one that just epitomizes the genre. The only thing I, this is a Lynch one that's escaped me, and I have to get to it. You're absolutely right. And the only thing I know about Wild at Heart is the look. I think it's been memed or gifted or whatever to oh, yeah. death, where Willem Dafoe's in the passenger seat giving that creepy-ass smile to whoever's driving the car going down the road right now. It's that, and it's a perfect Willem Dafoe look. It's that same smile he gave at the Golden Globes for that uh, right. award season gif. <laughs> Right, exactly. So that's my relationship to it. And maybe subconsciously I've just been terrified to turn it on and give it a shot for that reason. But yes, I have to get to that, absolutely. It's one of uh, uh, Lynch's more linear scripts. I don't know if that works better or worse for you, but it's I mean, it's its easy to follow. It's not like, oh my God, what the fuck, for you know, two hours. Huh. So it's, That's not something I would expect yeah. from him either. So yeah, all right. Uh, Got to give David Lynch a shot. Well, at heart, I will definitely be watching that sometime in the very near future. My number three is something I stole right from the book of Also Mike, as a matter of fact. You actually had this written down as one of yours, and it fits this motif perfectly. Uh, Baby Driver. And I know it was your favorite movie of a couple years yeah. ago. Uh, we've reviewed it to death. There's not a lot more I can add in this quick little synopsis. Is by Edgar Wright, a 2017 movie. It was Ansel Elgort's coming out party. I think it's... It still holds up well a couple years later, even though you have to kind of swallow the the bits that Kevin Spacey is in and go get around those if, if you're that type of viewer. But, I mean, what's been said about Baby Driver that hasn't been said already? It's a stylistic masterpiece. The music is great in it. The love story is very strong. And I, I think it's got great both both text on the page and subtext to its script. This was like the hardest omission for me because it would have been I'm surprised like, you did. Yeah, it would have been like number one or two on my list at the end of the day. And I took some great movies off of my list. I, I think this one, if it falls away from my criteria or fails my criteria because they're not necessarily on the run for an entire act of the movie. Right. Like he's on the run, he's accomplishing missions, heist it's a heist movie essentially, but he's not with Lily James on the run for for the whole movie. I mean maybe it's the latter half of act 2 which I which I adore. I so you're absolutely right. This is a great movie. It pained me to take off my list, but I had some weird nerdy criteria that uh, doesn't result in actual real life romance folks. That <laughs> fantasization. Well, you said your number three, uh, your number three entry had the the couple that you were rooting hardest for out of any of your top five. So who is it? Yeah, so I actually did rewatch this movie here, and it's Queen and Slim from last year, 2019. I gave oh. it a positive review last year. I was upset that it wasn't in more awards conversations from yeah. director director Melina Matsukis, uh, written by Lena Waithe. Daniel Kaluuya is Slim. Jodie Turner Smith is Queen. You got Bokeem Woodbine, Fleek. Chloe Sevigny. We had a Twitter uh, response from LaFronda Stum, uh, who also agreed with me here as one of her top Love on the Run movies. 
Look, I wonder if we'll remember this film more fondly, uh, just like I'm doing now, you know, years later, because it's an awesome rewatch. It's so many iconic scenes in it. There's so many iconic stills. I mean, you've you've seen the pictures at least. Yeah. So do we remember this film as one of like the quintessential Daniel Kaluuya movies? Is it the, you know, the coming out party, like you just said, but for with here, it's for Jody Turner-Smith, Alina Waithe, you know, she got that huge Amazon deal off the backs of this film. So, right. you know, is it is it one of those, you know, just movies that kicked off careers? I would hope so. I'm very upset with myself that I hadn't gotten around to it because I was so excited for this one to come out. Once it started falling off kind of the awards maps, it just kind of got lost in what we were doing at the end of the year last year. But as far, I mean, we just talked about Baby Driver being stylistic. The stylistic choices just in the stills and the trailer that we had for this one, they jumped off the page or jumped off the screen, however you want to put it. Uh, and it looked spectacular. So it's another one that I'm kind of mad at myself for missing. I have to get around to it. And, you know, anything Daniel Kalu does is gold and there was a moment there before mm-hmm. Queen and Slim came out where Jody Turner Smith's name was being mentioned in award circles with a prominence so I think that's a name to watch for the future as well 74 meta score so it got high critical scores uh, shout out to AMC here because I had like a promo code where I got it for half price so it cost me two dollars to, to rewatch this on amc.com there so this was this was fun like this was the one big rewatch I did for this one and uh, yeah I enjoyed the hell out of it it was gonna be on the outside of my list and it dove right into the center of it after that rewatch. Like it. So we go from Queen and Slim, which is gritty and a, and a serious story and a serious retelling, to uh, me, once again, breaking your prereqs and requirements because this isn't a, a love story about humans at all. <laughs> I'm going with Wally as my number two. Oh, but that's which a is, great movie. Good job. Oh, it's it's either the best or second best Pixar movie. And you go back and listen to our Pixar rewatch series, our big finale we had with the Pixar Award show and ranking every Pixar movie that we reviewed as we did review all of them. But mm-hmm. God. Damn it, Wally might be just the greatest love story ever told. Yeah. Now, in terms of the actual plot, I would probably call this a flirt on the run movie because they're flirting. How dare you? <laughs> that that little robot is nothing but love and heart, and he cared deeply for Evie. Okay, but for Eva, <laughs> she friend zoned him hard in that movie. It's slight spoiler alert. I, I look. It was Brazil. It, was, it fell into the same basket for me. Not that Brazil is anything like Wally. I never. <laughs> want to say those two in the same that's sentence that's gotta again. be the first time that sentence has ever but, been said oh, we adore this movie this this yes. is one of our favorite Pixar films that was the hardest you know uh, award show we've ever done trying to pick our favorite Pixar film when we did that series and it's another one I mean Pixar's got two or three of these for me and god damn them for it but I, I can't get through it without welling up mm. and starting to tear up and it's because of the love story Mike <laughs> how dare you say they're just friends I'm so happy for you right now <laughs> this is great this is the very thing therapeutic look at your heart opening up to the world uh, from a top five list (laughs) mike my number two is raising arizona from 1987 written and directed by the coen brothers nicholas cage holly hunter john goodman in a crazy part alongside uh, william forsyth trey wilson is the guy they rob in this this movie's unique because it's one of the few movies that's hilarious. Like, this is a hilarious screwball comedy, and it's it's perhaps the funniest movie uh, on any of these lists that I saw. So, you know, what we, we mentioned at the top, like, The Lovebirds is a rare thing, like, trying to be a comedy mm-hmm. in this genre. But this movie hit it, uh, hit all the right notes in that regard. It's also unique because it's, like, centered on raising a child on the run. So that's a whole nother list of complications which I just right. love is not only is their marriage kind of on the rocks because shit's going down and shit's going wrong, but like they're trying to, you know, be responsible for this kid and they're terrible at it, which is wild and hilarious. So it's really a Looney Tunes cartoon, you know, just come to life with it's just slapstick heaven, 68 Metascore, raising Arizona. I think it's on demand some on one of the premium movie channels right now. Where would you put it in terms of ranking where the other Cohen's uh, masterworks have gone? Because you're a big Cohen Brothers guy. Well, it's definitely top ten. It's probably top five. You know, it might, okay. might be just outside the top five. I'd have to look at that list. We'll have to do that at some point. But it's probably top five. Definitely top ten. Oh man, if we do that list, I'm going to have some things to say about No Country for Old Men. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was in some of these lists that I found, like a Fugitives on the Run movie. It's not a Love on the Run movie, but I was looking at all different variations of this. And well, by the way, love story about a man who loves money. But go ahead. It's a man who loves money, and that is love. And in your <laughs> wide ass criteria, could have worked, so you could have forced it in there. You, it could have been a movie you hated in your top five. Anyway, I am breaking your balls. <laughs> There were literally, every single thing I searched on Google, there were literally movies of that title in the 40s and 50s. Like, there is a movie titled Love on the Run. There's a there's a movie tri- I saw, yeah, titled I saw. Uh, Road Trip Romance. <laughs> like, every time I was like, I can't, I had to scroll to page two for some of them. It was like, give me a top ten list. Yeah, I, I saw, I saw those, uh, you know, creativity being what it was back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s when Hollywood had, didn't have any uh, any old titles that they had to spin off or make different copies Very true. of. And marketing campaigns are like, here's what it is, see? Right. Watch this movie, you get exactly this. It's a love, and it's on the run, you understand? Uh, my number one, speaking of love coming in many different forms, and it's... You know, there's obviously there's people out there that believe these two were lovers in their their own right. There, yeah. uh, there's a love story about their beautiful friendship. There's a love story about uh, feminism and, and and taking down the patriarchy and the work they did. Thelma and Louise. I do believe it's a love on the run story. I think it. I would argue it even fits your criteria there. Obviously, the Ridley Scott movie, the one we talked about during our 1991 Best Actress retrospective, a uh, couple of episodes that we did. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt in this one as well as a young actor. This was obviously uh, Susan Sarandon. And Gina Davis, Oscar nominated and even won original screenplay back in the day. The Is It Worth It podcast also picked this one. That's the the show that our buddy David Long there does. Uh, I think this is just typical love on the run. Even if you don't actually think there was any kind of romance between mm-hmm. the two leads there, which I just don't. feminine. I can I you know I could see the the argument there. I I don't think I do either, but I could be swayed either way. It's such an iconic last scene that two lovers would do and how they would end this movie and end their their run and their running away from the cops. It's just it's got to be on any list. Great movie. Uh I can't uh quibble with the selection. It couldn't have made my list because I had no friends zoning. I had no friends. But here's where I have to really break your balls though because you have Runaway Bride is on your list and Badlands <laughs> yes. you hate it so you had yes. three movies on this list this film Thelma and Louise opens up the entire road trip genre to you <laughs> and you were just too lazy to do any of that recent like I completely no, like it's but Tommy Boy Dumb and Dumber are the goofier ones like ev- there's so many road trip movies where two people are on the run and no it's a road that trip. Thelma and Louise is a love story you could argue about what the love is that it's focused on but it is the quintessential love story to the point and how they exit the movie is fucking iconic so Harry and Lloyd is is that's not a love story to you? No, I'm, I'm appalled. Like and and Tommy Boy, the, the Chris no! Farley, David Spade. Oh my goodness! Uh, no, I'm appalled. This is terrible. I think you should have a whole genre. You could have had all those movies on it. This is ridiculous. Can you imagine I, if I put Euro Trip? If I put like Road Trip or Euro Trip or I don't, Freddy Got Fingered, the, there's many more Road Trip movies. I'm gonna search it like vacation movies, Road Trip, Road Trip movies right now. Googling it. Oh I my think god, you're, you're I gonna think get you're wrong. Green I think, Book, your favorite film. Oh, gee, the Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's a family. Borat. No, Borat. Yeah. Sideways. My number one. I don't know why you're busting balls. What's your number one? They're tough guy. The motorcycle Diaries. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I'm just scrolling right now. E tu mama tambien. Oh my god, I can't take you anywhere. My number one. And this is going to shock a lot of people because this is not on any list, but it fits my two criteria. These are these. This is love on the run, even though they fall in love on the run. And this is a slight spoiler for this movie. So if you don't want to hear spoilers, fast forward for two minutes. I know I didn't tell you the movie yet, but if I tell you, it is the spoiler. So here we go. It's the Terminator from 1984, the year of my birth directed by James Cameron, written by Gail Ann Hurd, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Michael Bean as Kyle Reese, and of course Arnold Schwarzenegger as a titular character. Mike, nobody on the internet has this on their list, and I don't get it. They literally become 
Lovers on the Run in the most memorable, romantic, love-on-the-run scene ever, with the highest stakes ever in a time travel movie, with the greatest dramatic irony ever, and the greatest thematic consequences I've ever seen in one of these movies. The whole world and the whole future of the human race is at stake, and of course they fuck to the theme song of the film. It's the most epic scene the, ever. The, un, the unsaid third prerequisite on your list. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> You're right, though. It is. I, I mean, it certainly does fit your criteria, obviously. I would. I tend to believe that you fit your criteria around having that movie qualify, <laughs> though. But it does fit the love on the run motif. It's obviously not on those lists because people just don't think of the love story about that movie whatsoever. They're being, I mean, they're just thinking about Arnold's muscles for the most part. That's probably true, but they're being hunted by Arnold in this film. So they're literally on the run every step of the way. It's the entirety of act two where they're on the, on the run together. So, I mean, that's important. I also think this movie, cause I saw it pretty young taught me about the birds and the bees. So <laughs> might be oh, God. kind of important for me. <laughs> So this isn't so much your number one as it is when most people are in fifth and sixth grade, they see the, the sex education video and like what, what goes where and what happens and how to make a baby. And you got all that information from the Terminator. Yeah, I was like, I thought God made me. What the hell is going on? Nope. No. Oh. The Terminator, folks. The Terminator. Right. The number one love on the run movie of all time. <laughs> The Terminator. Well, I think it's safe to say we both blew this top five. <laughs> we probably did. Everybody, get at us, though. We always have fun listening to you after the episode, so get at us on this one. Yes, as always, we do want to hear from you, and we thank you for your responses, uh, those of you that we read off, and uh, everyone that we didn't get a chance to read off. We are asking more and more questions on Twitter, so we hope you do respond. We're going to try to get to as many creative and uh, informative ones as we can in the coming episodes with whatever we cover, but we want to hear from you. Comments, questions, concerns uh, about this episode or about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire, you can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com. .com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, and if you're quarantining with us or trying to let us kill an hour or so a few times a week, we thank you very much, and if you can do a, if you do us a favor and leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app, that would go a long way. Michael, tell the good people what's coming next, and some words of wisdom about how to make love in the time of murderous robots. <laughs> let me just say, words of wisdom, it is unwise to fantasize about falling in love on the run because it's unrealistic and bullshit, but it's, it's fun to watch in the, in the cinemas, I guess. And it, well, it didn't help me. Let's just put it there. I'm, I'm bitter at the end of this episode because it hasn't happened for me yet. Good. Mission accomplished. <laughs> What's coming next from us? Uh, we're kind of leaving our schedule a little open because we expect some major news about Tenant, about the Academy Awards at some point. So we we'll always have an opening for an Oscar race checkpoint episode or a breaking news episode. We we do have a loaded Mike, Mike and Oscar weekly about the Snyder cut, about a ton of new stuff that uh, I watched over the last couple of days. Uh, so there's a lot of new movie reviews coming from me. I watched a lot of bad movies. I spent like $40 buying a ton on VOD and no, no. oh my God. So <laughs> why'd you do that? I, I'll list those quick. I won't, you know, wallow in the bad movie reviews, but <laughs> I got a bunch of movies to review for you guys. And then we have a bunch of potential contenders in June with Shirley, the King of Staten Island and probably one of the first movies we'll get to in that big June 14th week, The Five Bloods from Spike Lee that we're getting very excited about. And uh, finally, you know, it's all going to lead up to a mid-year Oscars report and uh, something we've done every year. We're going to have a three- or four-part series on that. We already started making plans, so a lot to come from us. Uh, a lot to come indeed, and we will be trying our best to love ourselves while on the run from any kind of responsibility. <laughs> there you go. Priority. <laughs> this podcast is basically love on the run is what it is. And <laughs> reality sucks. You can come watch movies and find love with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar <laughs> trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.